Hey, let's pray, church. God, we thank you for this moment that we get to be here together, that we get to gather as a family. And uh, I, I just pray for healing right now for those who are, are sick, for those who are physically ill, for those spiritually that need healing right now. I pray for your presence to enter in to this moment and that they would find peace and healing and wholeness through your son. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, church, you can sit down. Good to be here. Good to be back. Joe, thanks for sharing that word and just, man, building up the church. Uh, I, I asked Joe, he sent me uh, just part of his story this past week, and I just asked him to share because everything he was saying, that, that's why we began Revival, that it would be a place where people would come and find a renewal, a refreshing of their faith in Jesus. And that there would be a renewal and a refreshing and a revival of the church. And so I, I love his story because it's a testimony to that, to how Jesus is moving through the body of believers and how he's working. This, uh, this past week, if you were with us last week, uh, you might have been thinking, wow, I did not know I, I uh, signed up to go to a charismatic church. You know, you guys are all, you know, I... I don't know what your church background is. Everybody comes in with a different situation, but there are things uh, when we come in and we dive into Scripture, I'm telling you, here at Revival, we really believe what God's Word says. And so we take it and we stand on it. It's the rock. It's our foundation. And so in chapter 14 last week, we just dove right in, and we're going to dive right in again. But Paul began speaking about tongues and prophecy. And if you missed last week's message uh, man, I, I would just tell you, go back, listen to it. We got podcasts or YouTube, all that good stuff. Uh, I'll tell you what, when I saw it came out last week, I did not know I went 48 minutes. It felt like 20. Like maybe some of you guys are like, oh, it felt like 48. All right, maybe. But I, I just, I mean, we were just, I mean, in it, like in deep in his word. And there was just so much truth being unlocked. And so, I, in fact, that was one of the best received messages we've had here at Revival since Revivals began. There were people that were hungry for more of what God's Word had to say. People hung out afterwards up to, man, I, I didn't get out of here until like 1230 or 1 last week, just conversation after conversation, because people are hungry for God's Word and what it has to say and how it brings freedom and transformation and renewal of our minds into our lives. In fact, all this week, I mean, I, I got text messages or phone calls, people still asking questions about what we covered in that first section of chapter 14. And so we're going to dive in again and look at what his word says. So chapter 14, we'll start here in verse 26. Well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, another will tell some special revelation God has given. One will speak in tongues, and another will interpret what is said. But everything that is done must strengthen all of you. We talked about that last week. There's this idea at the very beginning of chapter 14 that Paul is talking about. The, it's for the edification of the church, the building up. And so all of it should be done for the building up and the strengthening of the church. Uh, there, there's a word that he uses, and it's, in the Greek, it's oikodomeo, and it's to construct or build. 
So when he says in chapter 14, verse 4, he who speaks in the tongue edifies himself, that's that word. He builds himself up. He is constructing himself. Okay? Jesus used the same word in Matthew 7, verse 24. Build, like when he's talking about build your house on the rock, that's that same word. Build, construct. Jude 20 says this, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. When you hear that phrase, a lot of, a lot of uh, biblical writers will use that, praying in the Spirit. We talked about this last week also. Praying in the Spirit isn't just like, oh, you use a really big, fancy, spiritual, flowery language that sounds really spiritual. No, it is this idea of praying in tongues, praying in this unknown, this heavenly language, and it's a step that we take of faith as believers because we've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so, man, once again, as we are looking at this stuff, it is for the building up of the church. And so tongues, if that's something that you're interested in, if you want to know more about, once again, come find me after church. Uh, but don't be afraid to ask some of these questions. But he who speaks in a tongue is edifying himself, building himself up. Now, some of you, you've probably seen uh, maybe some of these videos of some churches where you got people like going around shouting in all these crazy tongues and languages and it's chaos. I, Paul's going to tell us, all right, it should all be done in order. That is what the point of chapter 14 is. The church in Corinth was completely out of order. It was chaotic and out of control. And so what he is doing is he is restoring order by giving clear instructions for the church. And so he says, no more than two or three should speak in tongues. They must speak one at a time, and someone must interpret what they say. So if you don't have interpretation, there should not be an out loud speaking of tongues in the church. But if no one is present who can interpret, they must be silent in your church meeting and speak in tongues to God privately. Privately. So during worship, if you like to pray in the Spirit, if that is edifying, if that's building you up, that is great. You can do that privately. We, we haven't designed at this point our church services to, to look exactly like what Paul is saying here, to have two or three come up and speak in tongues and to have an interpreter. We don't have that, okay? Right now, what we have is, man, if you want to worship and you want to speak in tongues to God privately during worship, you can do that. In fact, Paul is saying he encourages it because Paul, he'll tell you in this chapter, he says, I, I pray in tongues more than anyone. If it's good enough for Paul, it's good enough for us, just so you know. Like, I, I know, like, man, like, sometimes you start, if you come from a background like I do where you've never heard this stuff, you've never heard anybody preach on this, this stuff is kind of, like, blowing your mind. Like, oh, I've seen videos or I've seen people do this. It's weird. It's crazy. Uh, I, I get it. I come from that background. But I'm telling you, it is biblical. Uh, this is the apostle Paul giving us the instructions. And if you still have doubts, Mark 16 17 through 18, these, these are the words of Jesus, these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name, deliverance, and they will speak in new languages, tongues is really the word that's used there. They will be able to handle snakes with safety. I'm not bringing snakes in here, just so you know, I ain't doing that. And if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. These are Jesus' own words for the church 
going forward. And there's a lot of this the church we've gotten away from, but when we get back to a biblical, ancient worldview and what these apostles were preaching and how the church was being established in the early days, that's what we at Revival, we want to return to because Revival is a return to God's Word. Not what the world says, not what church growth experts say, not what church leadership books tell you. If you just follow these 10 steps, you can grow your church. We don't care about any of that. We care about being obedient and following his word because he's given us clear instructions. That's what we're doing here at Revival. Verse 29, let two or three people prophesy and let the others evaluate what is said. Once again, a call back to last week, this, this gift of prophecy. Don't get caught up in thinking, oh man, they, we need people up here telling the you know, lottery numbers for next week or who's going to win the Super Bowl. It, prophecy, a majority of it biblically is not about future telling. It's about the building up and edification of the church, speaking on behalf of of God on behalf of what his word says. And so when we have people get up here and they are speaking a word, it's the gift of prophecy at work. What Joe did today, he was giving a word of encouragement to the church. What I'm doing right now, I'm giving a word of encouragement, edification, teaching to the church. So let two or three people prophesy, let others evaluate what is said. So we need to have people in the church who are biblically literate so we can make sure that everything that is said from our leadership is biblical, that it lines up. The one who is speaking must stop if someone, uh, verse 30, but if someone is prophesying and another person receives a revelation from the Lord, the one who is speaking must stop in this way, all who prophesy will have a turn to speak, one after the other. What, what was going on in Corinth is there were people yelling and shouting over each other, and it was just, it was chaotic and crazy. It'd be like, like if Andrew comes up here, and he's shouting one thing to half the room, and I'm saying something to the other half, and nobody can tell what's going on. There's no order, only disorder there. Verse 32, remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. That's so important for us, for the church. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. That's what we want. We, we want to be a church of peace and not of disorder or chaos. So even as we come together and we gather, there's planning that goes into the service, and there's organization for what it looks like and what we're preaching on and what the worship, uh, what the worship song selection will be, all of that. There's order that goes into that, but there's also freedom to follow the Spirit if He is moving us in a different direction. And so, but all of that flows from the leadership of our church. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. Verse 34. This is one, you know, I'm going to get in trouble for this one, but hey, Paul said it, not me. Women should be silent during the church meetings. Now, just hold on. Before you get mad, you're like, whoa, whoa. Back then, the way they organized, like when they would gather for church, 
Men would be sitting in one section. Women would be sitting in another section. They were separate. And so what was going on, because Paul has already established in one of the earlier chapters here, he's already said that women can prophesy and pray in church gatherings. So he's not saying women cannot speak ever as soon as they walk into the door. That's not what he's saying. He is saying to this culture where church was happening is they had men sitting over here and they had women sitting over here and somebody was up here prophesying. They were giving a word from the Lord. They were preaching the word and all of a sudden they would get to a part where maybe uh, one of the women had a question and they would shout, what was going on? This is what was going on. They would shout across to their husband, what's he talking about, Frank? Huh? Like, it was like, it was chaos. Like it was disorderly. And so it was just kind of, that was what he was saying here. We need to get back to an order and not disorder. Okay? So don't get mad at Paul right there. Don't get mad at me. I'm not, you know, we have women that lead in our church, that lead, that, you know, they're going to give words, and they're going to give testimonies, and uh, man, they lead in leading us in worship. Paul's not sexist. Don't get caught up in that, all right? That's what the world wants you, you know, the world wants you to be mad at Paul. The world wants you to be mad at Scripture, right? There's so many things the world will take out of context, because they don't really understand what was going on in that culture or what that verse is really talking about because they've only, you know, just clipped one little part. And so what the world does is they'll take one little section of Scripture and they will tell you on social media, see, the church is sexist or the church is full of bigots or the church is full of racists. And it's like, no, 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 no. That is not what you find in the whole picture of Scripture. In fact, you only find, man, uh, like, you only find the truth when you go through his word. And the truth, it wipes out anything this world has to say. So don't, don't get caught up in some of the games that the world wants to play when they try to distort truth. Uh, verse 34. It is not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive just as the law says. Okay, so if they're married... According to Scripture, according to Paul, the husband, he's the head of the house. Christ is head of the family, and this is in proper submission. Submission is not slavery. Submission is by choice. We choose to follow the biblical household model. If we are married, if you are in a, uh, a family, or if you are in a marriage covenant, we choose to follow that because God's way is better than ours. And God's way is better than anything the world can offer you. And so when Paul is saying this here, he's saying, no, no, we choose submission because it's a better way than trying to go our own way. Going our own way leads to chaos. If they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is improper for women to speak in church meetings. That's just that same call back to, man, they're, they're shouting, they're yelling questions, they're trying to figure out stuff right then and there, and it's become chaos in that church. Verse 36, or do you think God's word originated with you Corinthians? Are you the only ones to whom it was given? If you claim to be a prophet or think you are spiritual, you should recognize that what I'm saying is a command from the Lord himself. Paul is the apostle here. He is in authority. The Lord has given him these commands to give to the church. So if you're listening here right now and you're thinking, you know, 
Paul doesn't know, Alex doesn't know, whatever. Here's what he's saying. Do you think God's word originated with you Corinthians, with you revivalists, all right? I don't know if that's what we are called, but we'll go with that right now. Are you the only ones to whom it was given? If you claim to be a prophet or you think you are spiritual, you should recognize that what I am saying is a command from the Lord himself. But if you do not recognize this, you yourself will not be recognized. That's a warning from the apostle. So my dear brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. Don't forbid speaking in tongues. Don't forbid it. There were churches that were forbidding it. There's still churches today that are forbidding it. Because I'm telling you, like some of the stuff that you've heard or maybe some of the, the weird videos you've seen of some churches that maybe practice this, and maybe some of you are like, I've never heard of any of this. Because of some of that, some churches have completely wiped out what Paul has said, and they're just, they basically, they, they've forbidden the spiritual gifts, they've forbidden speaking in tongues, they've forbidden this idea that prophecy can still exist in the church today. And, and so they've completely wiped it out to try and disassociate themselves from the charismatic movement. But the charismatic movement, it's interesting because that word charisma, it's actually a Greek word. It's actually the word that Paul is using all throughout here, Corinth, charisma, when he's talking about spiritual gifts. Gifts the Father has given each and every one of his children. He's giving you charisma. And what are we doing with it? We're burying it. We're hiding it. We're saying, no, I don't want it. We're throwing God's gifts into the trash and saying, I want nothing to do with them. That's sin. We won't do that here at Revival. We, we want to encourage the spiritual gifts. We know that, that, is going to be, that God is going to use people's gifts to build up the church. It's not just Alex's gift or Andrew's gift or you know, any pastor we have. It's not just their gifts that build up the church. It is the entire gifts of the body of Christ when we come together and use what we've been given, there is a building up of the church that happens. And you can see it right now. Like in our church, we are in a season of growth right now. There are people coming in for the first time in a long time, maybe the first time ever. We're starting to see, this is like truly like, there was this movement back in the 90s called the attractional church movement. And basically they just tried to be like, you know, hey, we're going to have, you know, bright lights and songs and flashy music, and we're going to do all these things to attract people to the church. This is the attractional church, a church that embraces who God has called them to be and how God has gifted each of them as individuals. He wants you to use what he's given you for the kingdom, not hide it, not bury it. There's one last verse I want to cover before we close out today. It's uh, 1 Corinthians 2. If you go back, this is where we started almost a year ago, guys. Almost a year ago. We're almost through Corinthians here. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. That is what the scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But 
It was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. If you've given your life to Jesus, if you've submitted to him as Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You have this spirit that Paul is talking about. His spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. Some of us, we just looked at, we looked at that moment that we gave our life to Jesus, and we just looked at it as, oh man, my future is secure. Now instead of hell, I will be going to heaven. But it has radically transformed our present. But we live as if nothing has changed. You have the power of Christ, the power that raised Christ from the dead, the mind of Christ living within you. You. That power is in you. There you go. Come on. Let me get out my illustration again. We did this last week. I want to do it again. In Scripture, in the Greek, there's three different words that Paul uses and that other biblical writers use. And there's one for body, your outside shell. There's one for soul. And that word is where we get psychology. Uh, it's where we get this idea of like the study of you know, our, our emotions and the brain, everything. So this is where your mind resides. This is your mind, your soul. Okay? And then you have a spirit. Your spirit is sealed upon salvation. You now have the Holy Spirit in one-third of you. One-third of you is the righteousness of God living within you. The mind of Christ. That's crazy. But some of us, we keep living with our spirit over here and just kind of ignoring the voice of the spirit within us. And we just keep living by the flesh, letting the flesh control us, letting the flesh lead us in every decision we make. And we just go by our thoughts and our feelings, what we desire in our mind, in our soul. And we let those two things drive the bus. What Paul is saying here is let the Spirit drive. Surrender to Him. <clears throat> Keep going here. Verse 10. But it was to us that God revealed these things by His Spirit, for His Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets, his mysteries. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. His spirit lives within us. His spirit knows God's thoughts. This is crazy. We have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, there's other spirits that you can listen to, that you can fall under a trap to, that you can, man, you can get caught up in some of the things the world says. You can get caught up in that spirit. Or you can listen to the Holy Spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. It's free. It's a gift. 
<coughs> when we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ in us. But most of us will never tap into that. Most of us will never surrender to it because it's uncomfortable to what the world says. It's counterintuitive to what the world around us says, to what our flesh says, to what our mind is saying. And so we ignore the Spirit's voice in our lives. But if we would learn to quiet ourselves and sit in His presence and sit in His Word... He would begin to reveal more and more of his truth through the mind of Christ in us. And he will give you fresh revelation about who he is, what he's done, what he is doing, and what he will do. That's what he wants to do. He wants to speak fresh into your life. <coughs> in verse 14, one of the translations there is, the soulish man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Some of us, that's all we've been. We've just been soulish. We're, we just keep seeking after all these things that the world offers, all these things that we think we need and that we desire and that we look at, and we chase after them, and we squash and we quench the voice of the Holy Spirit within us, and we just let the soul drive us. But if we would begin to surrender our minds to the Spirit, if we would begin to sit in silence and turn off all the distractions, if we would sit in His presence, and if we would open up His Word, He would start to reveal more truth to us. And He would begin to renew our minds. That's what he says in Romans. Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is where our mind is, right? Our mind, this is a, a filter from the dishwasher back there. It's perfect. It's dirty. It's disgusting. This is our mind. This is our soul, like our emotions, our feelings, everything going on in our mind. This is everything right here. It is dirty and it is disgusting. But if we would begin to just slowly surrender ourselves to the Spirit, He would begin to cleanse this filter. And as this filter is cleansed inside of us, in our souls, it would begin to cleanse the outside. So everything we struggle with on the outside, every temptation, every desire, everything of the flesh that we give into, if we would first begin to submit and surrender in our minds and our souls to the Spirit, he would begin the transformation process. But most of us, we never get there because we're just waiting until we get to heaven someday. That's it. That's all we got into this for. You know what? 
I, I, I don't want to change right now. I'll let him change me when I get there. No, no, no. Step into surrender right now because right now you're falling short of the glory that God has for you in this world. He wants to use you. He wants to use your gifts. He wants to use your abilities. He wants to use what he's given you to transform lives of those around you. But it begins with surrendering to the spirit and letting him cleanse you from the inside out. As you begin to listen to the spirit rather than your soul, rather than your mind, he will begin to clean you and renew you, it'll transform your life. If you're sick of living soulish and you want to start to live by the Spirit, today's the day to do that. Uh, I'm going to pray here in a moment, and we're going to close this service out, but as you're praying, if you're ready to surrender to Him, if you want to give your life to Him for the first time, or if you want to re-give your life to Him, if you want to make a new commitment, a fresh commitment to say, I want to surrender to his spirit rather than trying to live by my soul and my flesh on my own, today's the day you can do that. Come find me. Come find one of our pastors. Come find one of our elders. Come find somebody that you know here at this church to talk to and ask questions to about this, about what it looks like to step forward in faith and give all of yourself to him and surrender, to begin to live by the spirit rather than the soul or the flesh. That's why when we talk about praying in the Spirit, what Paul is saying there is it's, a, it's an action of surrender. Because we can pray in our minds, but our minds are dirty and filthy, right? Our minds are disgusting. And we can pray in understanding, and that's okay, but when we pray in the Spirit, we are surrendering everything to the Spirit. We are surrendering everything to him. And it begins this transformation within us. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. That's what the word of God will do as you begin to sit with him, as you begin to pray in the spirit, you are submitting to his voice in your life. You're shutting out every distraction, every voice of this world, every craving of the flesh, and you are surrendering to him completely. Let's pray. God, I just pray right now that we would receive what you have for us, that we would be open to the gifts that you've given us, that we would stop denying them, that we would stop being ashamed of them, uh, that we would just step in to surrender to your spirit living within us. God, I pray for anyone struggling to move forward in their relationship with you today that there would just be a, a breaking uh, of pride, that there would be a, a humble spirit that enters, that your Holy Spirit would just give them strength and courage to, to not be afraid um, to move forward in submission to you, to your voice, to what your word says, and that they would die to the world, but they would live for you, that they would be renewed in their minds and their souls 
and in their bodies as they submit and surrender to your Holy Spirit. I pray that for our entire church today. We love you, God. In your name we pray. Amen.